Hello and welcome into Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, presented by We the Patriots USA. Thank you for watching us on the We the Patriots USA Rumble channel and Red Voice Media, and for listening on New Hampshire Family Radio, WLMW 90.7 FM, Manchester, New Hampshire, KKVV Radio in Las Vegas, and anywhere you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like us on your station, email us at Taryn at WeThePatriotsUSA.org. Today's show is going to be so informative. All of you guys that have been watching this show, that have been following Faithful Freedom, you've seen a lot of these episodes that we've talked to people that were basically um, prisoners in the hospital during COVID, right? They went into the hospital, they had COVID, they needed um, extra care, and they soon found that they couldn't get themselves out. They weren't agreeing with the fact that, um, you know, they wanted to be put the hospitals wanted to put them on ventilators or use remdesivir. They felt like they were getting worse in the hospitals. And then, so then when they wanted to leave, they couldn't, you know, Gail Salier, we had on this show, she uh, broke herself. Her husband came in and broke her out of the hospital. So we've been exposed to this scenario. And then on the other side of this, when we're talking, when we involve children and what happens to them when they're in the hospital and parents aren't able to to take them out. You know, we've even had high profile people like Candace Owens speak about how when she gave birth to her second child, Child Protective Services came into her room because she had opted not to get her baby vaccinated right then and there in the hospital. So this is a this is a topic that parents are really perking their ears up to. It's a topic that I get a lot of you emailing me about, you know, if I go into the hospital and I can't get out, what do I do? What do I do if my child can't? And now we have this documentary called Taking Care of Maya that's on Netflix that is, you know, making uh, storms and people are really uh, heartbroken to hear this story. Well, today we have attorney Beth Allison Maloney on. She is a child protection lawyer and she wrote about Maya's case uh, before this documentary came out in her book, Protecting Your Child from the Child Protection System. And I know so many of you right now are opting not to vaccinate your children anymore. Your children aren't up to date on their vaccines, or maybe you have a child that has other care that they're receiving, whether it's homeopathic or naturopathic or something like that. And you're afraid if your child breaks their arm or what have you, and you have to go into the hospital for a, for an emergency What's going to happen? Are you going to be able to get your child back out um, like Maya was not able to, to do so there? So we're going to talk to Beth today. And this is very timely because we had just an episode, two episodes ago, on the Guidry family. This is a case that we, the Patriots USA, has taken on. We are fighting to get their children back. Amanda and her husband, Paul, no longer have custody of four of their children, specifically their autistic son, who um, was taken and put in foster care, separated from his sisters, separated from his caregiver, his mother, um, because they were using a natural uh, treatment for his autism and Child Protection Services in Missouri came and got them. We are trying our best to get their children back. You can help support our mission at We the Patriots usa.org because their case is not cheap and we need your help. Well, first, let's hear from our sponsors on Faithful Freedom. This episode is brought to you by The Freedom People, providing comprehensive solutions for individuals and businesses to take control and protect their freedoms. Visit thefreedompeople.org to reclaim your freedoms. This episode is brought to you by The Carnivore Bar, 
providing a fuel source for ancestral, carnivore, paleo, and keto eaters who value their on-the-go autonomy without sacrificing quality nutrition. Visit carnivorebar.com for more information. Where do we go from here? Because the battle has just begun. As eyes open, we continue to arm ourselves with the truth in all aspects of our lives, asking questions and relentlessly searching for answers, educating ourselves and forging a new path forward. Hear from real people faithfully pursuing freedom. This is Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, presented by We the Patriots USA, a nonprofit 501c3 organization working to preserve and reclaim our God-given inalienable rights. Beth, hello, and welcome into the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for lending your expertise on this topic. As I talked about in the introduction, I think people um, are eager for information on this and uh, are ready to hear about this and are ready to have their eyes open. I know you've been in this in this uh, realm for quite some time, and I think people are surprised to know that this is a battle that's been ongoing for a while prior to COVID. I think so. I think that the general category of child abuse is perceived or child abuse allegations, let's say, is perceived as really only targeting a very small population. And I actually think in my experience that when most people hear that someone has been accused of abusing their child, you have an immediate reaction in your heart. Isn't that a terrible thing to have happened. Um, but what I have seen over the years is a substantial number of false allegations, and particularly with respect to what I call medically complex children. So in Take Care of Maya, Maya was that type of child. So now when someone says to me, what type of law do you practice? I'm able to say, did you watch take care of Maya, because those are the kind of parents who are my clients. And it's such an important job. And you're right, these parents get painted in such a horrible light. And their their name, their family name is drugged through the mud. They are told that they're horrible when they're just trying to do the best for their child. And, mm -hmm. and I think that people can maybe level with that a little bit more because we understand how so many of us were told that we were horrible for not wanting to give our child the COVID vaccine when we knew it was not safe or effective for our children. And public health officials are telling us that we're not only horrible for not doing it, we're compromising our child's health. And so now that opens up the, the doors a little bit for people to understand that, you know, this is going on on a much wider lens and in a much deeper level um, for other medical treatments as well. Yes, I would say that I'm not aware of any situation where specifically because of a vaccination or a failure to vaccinate that a child would be removed from parents' care. The problem becomes when a child enters the hospital, a good example is child falls off a swing and breaks their arm. You take the child into the hospital and in the, in the context of that admission or that emergency department visit, suddenly there are a host of issues that are opened up. And 
I think that what happens is parents in an effort to convey whatever information they have sometimes get themselves in trouble. Absolutely. How yeah. should parents that, you know, like you said, have a medically complex child or maybe um, treating them in homeopathic ways, naturopathic ways or alternative ways that, you know, the mainstream um, is dubbing, you know, isn't um, kosher with, they're not okay with. What should a, a parent be doing? How should they be tiptoeing that line when they are speaking with the doctors, when they are in the hospital? What are, what's your number one advice for them? Well, I think it applies to all parents, regardless of what kind of treatment that is in place for their child. When you find yourself in the hospital and doctors have, you recognize that a different opinion is being expressed. So for example, if you, I have a recent case where the parents had arranged completely uh, mainstream medical care for their children, they lost the children because the doctors in the hospital decided that the other experts were incorrect. So this is, I just want to emphasize that it, it really is across the board for all families. And if you, for example, if your child falls off a swing and breaks his or her arm, it would be a mistake to start talking about it with the physician all the other times the child has hurt themselves. That would be a problem. The other problem would be if you don't know exactly how the child injured themselves, your answer should be, I don't know. What happens is parents try to help. They think they're helping in figuring out what could have happened and that isn't really productive in terms of the relationship with the doctor. If you don't know what happened, just say, I don't know. Don't, don't try and hypothesize. Don't say, well, maybe her three-year-old uh, brother pushed her off the swing when I turned my back because I did have to run to the car really quickly to get a bottle of water. And when I came back, she was on the ground and he was standing over her. So maybe that's what happened. That just does not help at all. Your answer should just be, I don't know. We were at the park. He fell off the swing. I brought him here because he was hurt. To me, it sounds really? like it's it's almost like, you know, obviously these safeguards were put in at first to try and there are obviously kids that are being abused. And of course, we want those children to be helped. But there seems to be in these cases that I'm, that I'm hearing, there's a egos at play, right? Uh -huh. With, with the doctors and the hospitals and the, the medical staff. Um, and then there's also this hyper exaggeration of, um, accusations happening, right? Where they're, they're, they're basically, uh, inferring that there's abuse happening when there is clearly not. And they're, they're jumping to conclusions very quickly. Why do you think that that is, happening now? I think it's happening because about 10 years ago, there was a new board certification offered for physicians called child abuse pediatrics. So you have about 350 child abuse p 
pediatricians in the country. And they are spread out among hospitals and hospital systems. Now, just to be clear, this is not a pediatrician who would be in a typical pediatric practice where you might take your child for an ear infection or something like that. These doctors are based out of hospital systems and they have become increasingly aggressive, in my opinion, about increasing their footprint and asserting their power over other areas of medical specialty. So for example, I'm gonna use Take Care of Maya because probably everyone's seen it. There was a child abuse pediatrician, Sally Smith, who decided that she didn't like the treatment that was being offered by another physician. That is called a medical disagreement. That is not a reason to remove a child, but it happens and it's happening with more and more frequency. For example, um, in San Diego at Rady Children's Hospital, there is a group of child abuse pediatricians who have authored an article saying that they think there should be, um, I think they call it medical abuse teams in every hospital. And their role would be to oversee essentially the care of any medically complex child who goes to that hospital. So a child with autism or a metabolic disorder or uh, autoimmune condition, something complex, something that would not be handled by an ordinary uh, pediatrician. When that child comes to the hospital, they want to jump in and decide whether the care that the child is receiving, even from doctors inside that hospital, is appropriate or not. And frankly, they do not have the qualifications to decide whether a gastroenterologist is rendering appropriate care. They're pediatricians. Yeah, they're not the specific care provider. They're not the ones that are familiar with the ins and outs of that medical care. Right. They have no specialized training other than child abuse pediatrics, which is not, and that is not a genetic, uh, a metabolic geneticist. That is not a gastroenterologist. That is not someone who specializes in airways for children who need a breathing tube or, uh, uh, someone who needs a feeding tube. They don't have any of that expertise, and yet they feel very comfortable deciding that the person with that expertise has been giving the wrong treatment for sometimes 10 years. And your and- problem in the hospital, and it's important for parents to understand this, that once your child is admitted, whether that child leaves and where that child leaves is up to the admitting hospital. Wow. It, because you could, if you want to take your child, you know, prior to when they deem is appropriate, according to them, you could get in, in trouble, right? Give me an example. Let's say, you, let's say you think, um, you know, you take your child in for, you know, whether it's an illness or a broken arm or, or what have you, and or you're a mom who just gave birth and, um, you know, you feel like you're everybody's healthy, you feel good, you're ready to leave the hospital, but they're like, no, you know, we want you to be here for, a, you know, 
12 hours more, a couple hours more, what have you. I mean, you technically, you're like a prisoner in that hospital. When you deem yourself ready to go, they're not letting people leave. Correct. And I think another concept that parents misunderstand is against medical advice because often, excuse me, in response to my TikToks or on my Facebook pages, people write, well, I would just take my child and leave against medical advice. Well, against medical advice only means that you are being allowed to leave the hospital against medical advice. So if you, I'm going to give you a really simple example. Sure. Let's say uh, someone's in the hospital, they've had really I don't know, bad diarrhea. I don't know, you sure. know, and so like they're in there for a couple of days and things seem good. And the hospital says, well, we'd really like you to stick around for another 24 hours. And they say, you know, I, I think I'm okay. I'll manage it. <clears throat> and if I have a problem, I'll come back. Yeah. So then the hospital could say, well, we're going to let you leave, but it'll be against medical advice. That means you're assuming the risk if anything goes wrong. So you sign a form that says, all right, I understand this. I'm assuming all the risk against medical advice and I leave. However, if the hospital does not allow you to leave or allow you to leave with your child, they can prevent you from leaving. They can sometimes do things like they'll call guards to escort you from the hospital while your child remains. There are, they will um, hold the child for a certain period of time while they notify uh, child protection services, this is an emergency situation. You have to get a you have to get an order for custody. So there are a lot of different tools. So I guess the overall message here is you're very much at the mercy of the hospital once you're there, and that's why, unfortunately, with this very aggressive turn by child abuse pediatricians, you have to know that. And you have to modify your interactions until you get your child out. Because if you escalate it, you may not get your child out. Yeah, that is, it's really scary thing for parents to think huh? about. And the fact that um, in so many various ways currently in society, uh, whether we're talking about the school system, the education system, um, you know, the hospital system, what have you, it seems that um, they feel like they have authority over your own children above you and that, um, you know, it's the state or whomever that really owns your children, not yourself. And it's a scary um, thought for parents to have. But I want to ask you real quick about that scenario you just mentioned. How is it that hospitals legally have the right to to basically hold you prisoner. I don't know how else to, to say it. Um, if they're not letting you leave, you're basically a prisoner. Because your admission papers yeah. contain something in there that says that you agree to that. It's either that or it's on the website. Sometimes the language is buried in the website where it says that upon admission, that you, you, and I'm going to speak really to children. Uh, once you admit your child, the child is only going to leave if they let the child leave and the child will go where they say the child has to go. I'm paraphrasing, but so you have agreed to that in the admission. And then what happens is if you don't, um, 
abide by that and you're trying to leave with the child before they want you to for whatever their reasons are then they could call child protection services and tell them that the child is at serious risk of harm if the child is removed from the hospital now understand that when a judge is confronted with a statement by a doctor that essentially says if this child leaves the hospital they may die there aren't a lot of judges who are going to say well i don't think so right because mm -hmm. you when you hear that it's scary it is, but it's, it seems like such an exaggeration, right? How can they even deem or prove that? that? Yeah. Okay, how would you know that? So the immediate reaction of the judge will be to grant the custody. The parent has no idea this has happened. This is all happening in the background. And then they find out, well, your child is now in the custody of the government and there will be a hearing, and then you're given the hearing date. So now you go to court, you probably don't have much time to have found anyone, experts or whoever is going to testify on your behalf, and it, it just becomes then a process that goes on much too long, and it, it may be that a year later you win your case, but during that year, it's just been horrendous. And so... That's why everyone just has to really try hard not to get in that situation. And if it happens, you can't blame yourself. Mm -hmm. But it is important to know the risks and the possibilities and that you can find yourself in situations where it's counterintuitive to everything you are as a mother. You know what's wrong with your child. You know what kind of help that child needs. You've been getting the appropriate help, and now someone is telling you, no, you're wrong. You cannot fight back. You have to say, oh, well, this is new information to me, for example. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard. Yeah, it's really hard to, um, yeah, swallow that pride and just, you know, kind of play cool. along. And, you know, what's what are some other tips for people because we know, you know, if you're a parent, you're going to be asked a lot of different questions. If you're bringing your child into the ER, you're going to be asked if they're up to date on their vaccines. You're going to be asked, you know, what kind of medications your child is on. Uh, you know, do they have any other underlying conditions or are they autistic or what have you? What kind of answers should you be giving? Short, honest, to the point. Yeah. Don't Just elaborate. Don't use, don't use medical terms. Whatever you do, do not use medical terms. So if your child, for example, is diagnosed with something called osteogenesis imperfecta, which is brittle bone disease, rather than saying osteogenesis imperfecta, which is a term you probably as a mom know now because you've gotten this diagnosis and so forth, you just want to say, that your child is seeing specialists because their bones break easily. Mm -hmm. That's it. And if there's more questioning about it, you would say, I really think you should talk to the treating physician because I'm 
not a doctor. I just follow the doctor's advice and I would be more comfortable if you would discuss it directly with that doctor. I Boom. think that's done. That's wonderful. That's wonderful advice. And, um, you know, I've, I've also heard people say, you know, if you are given that, that question, and like you said, you've not heard of anybody's children being taken away for the vaccine issue or the childhood vaccine schedule, but that's a question that a lot of parents are really scared about now. And, you know, I've heard if you're asked that question, is your child up to date on vaccines? You say yes, because they are as up to date as you and your pediatrician deem necessary on those vaccines. So boom, short answer, move on. I don't want anybody to lie. Exactly. You're not right. lying. You're saying, yes, they are as up to date yeah. as they need to be. Yeah. As far as I know, they are based yeah. on the information from the doctor. Mm -hmm. Okay. But don't ever, don't ever say something that could then come back and be used against you. Absolutely. So, so that is the key. Mm -hmm. um, and the problem is that there is now in some hospitals, for example, uh, Lehigh Valley Hospital in Pennsylvania, they have a theory, every child, every time. I think it is an incredible overreach to suspect that every child who comes into that hospital might be the victim of child abuse. That's insane. And so therefore they screen every child and parent for potential abuse. I don't think that's the only hospital where it's happening. So they'll be, you'll be asked a series of questions or the child may be asked a series of questions. You know, do you ever see mommy and daddy fight? Does your mother ever choke you? Does, you know, there's a, like a whole host of questions, which honestly, sometimes when those questions are asked of children, you get answers that are, you know, um, depending on the age. Yeah, they're kids. Right. Yeah. They're kids. So, but th this, and this was spearheaded by the child abuse pediatrician who is there. Mm -hmm. So I would be really careful because when you start hearing those questions, you understand now what it is that they're going the, for. Yeah, what they're... So, so you don't say, let's say... Let's say the mother gets um, asked, uh, is there any fighting in the home? And so mom says, no, but boy, when I grew up. Okay, skip the when I grew up. <laughs> don't, don't go there. Yeah. Just the question. Mm -hmm. No. That's such wonderful advice. And, you know, I know that there's probably multiple ways, and you pointed to the child abuse pediatricians being one of the ways that um, we've gotten to this point with the system. Um, what are some other various ways that have, have gotten us to this? These child protective services, um, they're, these employees, they seem to have a lot of power, just yeah. blatant power getting, given to them. That seems to be one of the, the main underlying issues here, too. They have a tremendous amount of power and I am consistently told, well, they're overworked. And so I, I just, 
I, maybe they are overworked, but it doesn't mean that they're not focusing on the wrong cases because I see them do that all the time. When you have same situation that I mentioned with the judge, if you have a um, doctor who's telling the caseworker that the child is being abused, then, and, and all of this starts with reports. A caseworker doesn't wake up one day and say, hey, I think I'll check out that family who lives over on Orange Lane. You know, someone has to call in the report. When a doctor calls in the report, then a caseworker is, is going to follow up. That's it. There's, there's no, and, and once that accusation is made, it becomes very hard to turn it around. So yes, they have a tremendous amount of power. Uh, if they don't like you, then they're going to be unfair to you. They were maybe going to be unfair to begin with, but if they don't happen to like you, it's going to get a lot worse. Now, the other thing that I think parents need to understand, because many don't, and I can totally understand why they wouldn't, is that there is a dual process. So when, let's say I'm accused of abusing my child for whatever reason. And so the state moves to take custody. So that is a court proceeding, which is then going to be ongoing. That may last a couple of months or a year or longer. In the meantime, caseworkers, and this is true of every state system, can then either, they do something called, it depends on what state you're in, but it might be called a substantiation or an indication for abuse. So now let's say I am indicated or substantiated for child abuse. There's been no court decision about it. It's just the caseworker. And by virtue of that, I end up, on the registry of child abusers for my state. And as a result of that, I cannot, for example, be a teacher or a nurse who working around children. I cannot volunteer in my child's classroom. Uh, some schools, you can't, some, it's very state specific, but you might not be able to attend sporting events. You can't coach the kids soccer team because you are on the registry of child abusers. And that is a separate legal proceeding to overturn that. So now I am facing two legal proceedings. One, to try and get my children back. And two, to get myself off the registry of child abusers. And it's so important that parents understand this because sometimes they just don't really understand this two-tier, two-track, two-tier, whatever you want to call it. And you must not only deal with the court action for getting your children back, but you have to, have to appeal this indication. And there are letters that explain, will come to you that explain what to do. You have to do it and you have to do it within the timelines that are prescribed or you will be on that registry and you will lose your license and you will not be able to earn a living. And your whole relationship with your children will be impacted. You will never be able to volunteer in a classroom or be a soccer coach or youth groups at church. None of it 
You are a child abuser. Wow. That yeah. is just, that was a layer that I wasn't aware of. And it just breaks my heart because this it's is, it is, it breaks my heart because this is, again, this is a multi-layered attack on us as parents, our parental rights. This is yeah. one piece in this whole giant puzzle that mm -hmm. we are starting to see unravel all around us. And it just, as a mom of, of two little kids, it breaks my heart to see how they're trying to um, do this to families. Yeah, it is um, something the, the legislatures could do, in my opinion, uh, is quickly fix this by certainly saying that if I win my underlying case and I get my kids back and the judge says, you know what, Ms. Maloney never abused her kids, case dismissed, that listing on the registry should be immediately repealed or expunged. But no, it doesn't work that way. So you could still lose, you could get your kids back. The judge could say she did nothing wrong and yet not be able to succeed in the appeal. Depending on what happens in procedure, I don't want to get too full sure. lawyer here, but you just need to know it's out there and that you really need to pay attention to it. It's very, wow. it is very important. Very and important. I agree. We need to um, continue to, to talk to and to press our legislators on this and, you know, groups like Moms for Liberty and Moms for America and all, you know, all these different organizations, we really need to be um, pressing our, our legislators in this because it could be, it could be you next, you know, you could find yourself in this situation as a parent and that's yeah. scary. It's very scary. And most parents don't even realize no. that they think, oh, I won my case. It's over. <laughs> then they go to apply maybe to work in a daycare center and the employer contacts them and says, well, you're on the registry of child abusers. And you're like, what? I won that case. Yeah. And then because you didn't file your appeal within the prescribed time period, there's nothing you can do about it. Wow. And smiling. It's not funny or I'm not laughing or smiling. No. It's just that it is, it is just so incredibly unfair. And parents do not know, and they must know. They must know. I agree. I agree. Well, thank you for speaking out. Thank you for doing all of your work. I'm sure that much of this is covered in your book. Tell us briefly a little bit about, I know you have several books, but uh, protecting your child from the child protection system. This, is, this seems so important. Um, tell us a little bit about your book. So what happened was I had... I, it was during the pandemic and I was actually, since I'm a lawyer, I was watching The Innocence Files on Netflix and it was all about um, overturning uh, falsely accused convictions. Mm -hmm. And when they covered what had happened in the cases, I realized that a lot of those individuals made the same mistakes that parents made. So I thought, why don't I write a book about that? So this book that I wrote explains the entire system in plain English. I have a whole section in there interacting with your accusers, what you do if child protection services is coming for a home visit. I do explain the part about the indications. I explain about it against medical advice. So it really was written to help level the playing field. So many parents get caught up in this system and they're just like, deers and headlights because it's so shocking and so traumatizing. 
and they just don't know what's going on or where to go or what even even what questions to ask. So hopefully this helps. Well, thank you. I encourage people to go pick up that book to order it. Is it on Amazon or where can people? On Amazon, where you mm -hmm. can find it through my website, which is BethAllisonMaloney.com. And that's Allison with one L, Beth one Allison L. Maloney. Beth and Allison and Maloney. Thank you. We'll put that in the show notes too for people. Okay. And we just so appreciate it. This is important work. If you um, want to support Beth's work or the work we are doing with the Guidry case and their family, go over to wethepatriotsusa.org to learn more about that. Call us. Call Brian at wethepatriotsusa.org. If you find yourself in this situation, call Beth. We'll have to team up and, and just continue to help these families that are wrongfully in these situations. So yes. thank you. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of our heart. And um, We'll have to have you back on to continue to educate us. Okay. All right. Thank Thanks. If you enjoy our content, prayerfully consider making a tax-deductible donation at wethepatriotsusa.org so we can continue to power the education arm of our mission that also extends to work to preserve and reclaim our God-given inalienable rights. God bless and thank you from everyone here on Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, presented by We the Patriots USA.